What if at this road that has held no surprises these many years decided not to go home after all? What if it could turn left or right with no more ado than a kite tail? What if its tarry skin were like a long, supple bolt of cloth that is shaken and rolled out and takes a new shape from the contours beneath? And if it chose to lay itself down in a new way, around a blind corner, across hills you must climb without knowing what's on the other side, who would not hanker to be going at all risks? Who wants to know a story's end or where a road will go? Sheena Pugh. Mm. Who would not hanker for that? Mm. That was the wonderful voice of... Christy Mack. And this is Jim McNeish here. And this is our final podcast of series two. Kirsty, we're on a second series and we've finished it. What has <laughs> happened? What has uh, happened? Isn't it great? So, um, <laughs> It's been a, an amazing time um, where we've talked about some of our key learnings and some of our um, observations during this time from a leadership development point of view. We've kind of done our best not to make it too technical. We've tried to keep it in terms of how Kirsty and I would authentically talk to each other. Um, and we just want to wrap up today with a little bit of, well, what have we learned? And maybe we'll just kind of prod each other a little bit more on that just to see what we're going to do about it into the future. So, Kirsty, uh, even if you reflect on this week, but, you know, what's been important to you in terms of learning during this time? Um, I think, actually, from a, a learning perspective, this podcast has been a huge learning for me in that it's got many different strands to it. I can still remember us. In the Shiring, the Thursday before lockdown, I think, the Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. We were sitting with a sweet meat and a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, <laughs> and it was like, what's going on? What are the conversations? What's happening? And out rolled the whiteboard, and it was like, we're going in. And <laughs> it was the ease of the conversation. It was yes. the, what are we paying attention to what are we observing and then the ease of this getting together and recording this um it just i suppose it's when it feels right and it's in flow and that's been a big learning that has linked into many different areas i'm deeply grateful for the conversations so thank you and yeah, genuinely me too. Deeply thank you grateful yeah. thanks Kirsty. because i think it's i mean it's been a bit of therapy is you know it's been a bit of a real recognition of the importance of having genuine conversations weirdly recording it for some <laughs> stupid reason um but having genuine conversations about things that really matter and so I, I'm deeply grateful for that. As people have said to us, they're like, oh, you know, you really helped me with this. You got me thinking about archetypes. You got me, you know, questioning. I've loved the fact I've gone for a walk with you. We've loved doing them. Yeah. We've loved the, um, and we, we have said a couple of times is that, you know, we have a chat beforehand and then we press record and the chat's pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah, we should have just pressed record at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> we would have saved ourselves so much time. Yes. Um, it is the same. And so there's strands there for me. There's ease, there's collaboration, there's conversation, there's partnership, there's listening. You know, we've given, whilst we are have been so bowled over by the amount of people that have lended us their ears through this, mm -hmm. 
um, you've lended your ears to me and vice versa through this and we've given each other a good listening to. Um, and so that's something for me that has been deeply powerful. And, and I think collaboration and partnerships, I've, I've mentioned it a few times as a few throughout this is that we thought we were collaborating before, but now we're, now we're, now we're doing it real, right? Now people are, you know, and it's interesting because I do see, I did a, a um, LinkedIn Live just last week about the C word and how many C words have come out through this whole situation and not in a Glaswegian way, but um, <laughs> just, your face there was like the, the C Ooh, word. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Kirsty, interesting, yeah. interesting platform to use. Um, it was, uh, you know, collaboration and care and compassion and uh, congruence and, and, and there's a real there's some people that are still playing the short game and mm -hmm. competition. And then there's some people that are, we've talked about these cloud of witnesses that, that kind of come together. And um, that's been incredibly powerful. I think for me, you know, the collaboration and the conversation and um, just the real humanity, the mm. just the real, we've just learned to be more human, right? <laughs> Yeah, Weirdly, through so. all this yeah. technological interface, mm -hmm. we've, it feels like, I was speaking to a client on Friday, we were doing some coaching and, and I looked at her and I felt her energy and I said, you are more of yourself. Mm -hmm. You, you feel like you have access to more of who you are. Her energy before was fragmented in organization and, and questions about what she was doing and and it, it just was so lovely to see. And um, I think that's the same for a lot of people. It's the same for me. I think I was pretty fragmented. Yes. I feel like I've kind of... Come home back. to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I think I've noticed how automated my life was. I used to think it was really free. I thought... I'm an independent consultant. I travel around the world. I work with a diverse group of colleagues. Look how changeable and different my life is. And, and it really wasn't. It was automated by all sorts of external forces that I had no idea drove me to stay on some kind of rhythm. And um, to have to take responsibility for creating a rhythm for yourself was profound. You know, that I loved um, to experience genuine freedom. And it only comes, I think, on the back of the terror of an empty looking future, one that you're going to have to invent. And so that terror of the first week that then had me genuinely look into a field to say, OK, well, what's, what's in my hand? What is it I can work with? Um, Who is it I can talk to? And, and what can I do? that then just led to this 12, 13 weeks of genuine invention of something new, a different way of going. So I've, I've loved that and I've loved um, observing all the ways that I am tempted to get pulled back into automated living again. Mm. Uh, even just kind of the rhythm starting again, you know, like people who work with me just coming back and they'll be in and they'll be doing these two days a week and then there's a rhythm again and then there's another rhythm up in the back and all of a sudden our lives are being, you know, played to the beat of somebody else's drum. And I think um, I'm really clear that I don't necessarily want that to happen. I, I do want to invent a new future. I want to invent something out of my passion, out of my 
values. Mm. Um, and that feels to me uh, life-giving. So that's been a big piece for me during this whole thing. And I think these podcasts have been a lovely skeleton to hang a lot of our learning on. You know, like I think there's been a robustness and a resilience right from the beginning. You and I just were like, right, okay, let's lock in and create a sense of possibility about this. And that created an initial partnership that was just solid and predicated on a 15-year friendship and and all that stuff. It's just like it, it all pulled together just really, really well. Um, 10 years, not 15, is it? It's I have no 10. clue. 10 years is this year. <laughs> 2020 <laughs> is 10 years. It could, yes. Um, so all of that just has been real learning in terms of just that kind of putting down some solidness and, and something core. Uh, and at the same time, just wanting to avoid living in repetition again and repetition. It's like, come on, how do we make the most of this time? Um, partnership, shadow, these have all played important mm. roles in my life over the last little while. I've become the shadow guy. And um, speaking a lot <laughs> into that, <laughs> all very shady. Um, and, and I've been enjoying writing about it and creating knowledge about it. So um, yeah, that's that's been some of the key learning for me. Yeah. So so coming back to your your key thing in terms of learning, Kirsty, what feels most important for you to hold on to right now and take into the future in terms of your values? And it can be anything which is from spiritual and high level right through to parochial and putting food on the table. It can be any of those things. But what occurs for you as here's a real nugget that I need to take forward from my time of learning into the future? I think I, I, there are so many. Um, it is about, as you wrapped up when I was saying, you know, coming home to yourself. It's about recognising what, whether it was automated, to use your words, whether it was, you know, I would leave you could genetically clone me from the amount of stuff I always leave in hotel rooms, right? I just, and I would always be going into curry. Hi, I need another adapter for my Apple. They're like, oh, you're yeah. back. <laughs> and I think that was quite a metaphor for, I think I left a lot of myself in different places. Yeah, yeah. It was the fragmentation. Um, and by the very nature of what we do, you know, you do that, you give a lot to to the situation, to the organisation, to the to the peeps. Um and so it was about recognizing the strength in coming home to myself, recognizing that actually I really like being at home um, and recognizing that there's real solidness here and, you know, seeing how incredibly hard, and I knew it before, but how incredibly hard Billy works and um, what he does and how he does it has been it's been wonderful to see. I think he's doing it mm -hmm. to the max. Um, and that's been wonderful. So I think that is kind of encapsulated in all of its home. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's coming home to yourself. It's coming home to um, the things that really matter. Yes. Um, yes. And that allows me, if I have a few more solid, 
I feel that, you know, tapping into that foundation allows me to access more from a spiritual sense for recognizing what I'm interfacing into. Um, yeah, that allows me to do more of that. Staying still enough for long enough. So something about um, almost kind of like the, a paradox in a sense, that as long as you feel grounded with uh, being at home, Billy, I guess it was Pops' birthday on Saturday, and yeah. uh, all, all of these things, starting to just really appreciate them at a far deeper, more fundamental level mm-hmm. in terms of if you're linked and, and connected into those things in your life, then there's greater room for dispersal, for... Uh, the work that you do for the kind of conversations that you're involved in. How do you think that will affect your work going into the future? I feel that it will, I think the conversations will be deeper for lack of a better expression. Mm -hmm. I've noticed a slight difference in the threads of my coaching is, and so it feels that it's deeper. It feels that there's more conversations that matter. There's a different level of consciousness that is coming through. I'm probably most definitely feeling it in myself and therefore seeing it in others and, mm-hmm. and helping others navigate through that. Um, it will allow, and from a work perspective, is, is the collaboration piece that I spoke about, is linking into the people that, fill my heart with joy and if we can all work together then oh my goodness it's just like a joy catalyst that kind of affects more people um and so that's important and and also i've really loved this personal development time and learning you know i know we've said and i think it was in the the change in the coaching live um webinar that we did is um it was you know, I need to learn. I, I, it's just something that's innate within me. And if I don't, I don't feel like myself. So the opportunity to tap into the different elements of businesses, to tap into what is the now of work, never mind the future of work. That, like, I love, I love knowing the new tech and the new ways of working and the and the cutting edge and pioneering elements of stuff. That lights me up. Billy knows mm-hmm. when I've been on one of those webinars, he's like, oh, here we go. I was like, did you know? Um, and I for, for I need to tap into more of that because I yes. share a lot of it when I, when I access it. And so there's something within me that will take that to another space. And I don't quite know what that is yet. Do you think that there is some shadow integration going on with you here? Um, I'll tell you why I'm saying it is that... Um, you know, you occur for the uh, executive client group as somebody who tends to have her finger on the pulse about what's emerging, what trends are coming, both in a psychological behavioral sense as well as technology. Um, you are always excited about the new. You're always excited about the initiation. You're always excited about kind of pushing those type of things out. And you think that, I guess, that if that's your image of who you are as a consultant do you think the shadow has always been actually though at heart i'm a home girl i um if i ever see you emotional it's because we're talking about your mum and dad 100%. um if uh, it's all about like coming home to the safety of that home it's all about billy being there with support mm-hmm. that's where the focus has been do you think there's the beginning of if you like 
that part of you that has been very private and very solid and almost quite muscular, like in there, starting to become available as a depth and as a connection to your client base, in a sense, in terms of creating just a broader spectrum and span of what it's like to belong in a world which is advancing technologically in the way it is. Is there anything been going on there that is perhaps some of the crisis that you've hit during this time, some of the times that you've had quite difficult kind of weeks and stuff, is that there's a bit of that shadow starting to integrate now and actually come into what your public conversation is with with, with the client base. Yeah, and I feel that as you speak, I feel that in my stomach. I feel that, you know, so you have only said words to me, but viscerally, you know, like I can feel it. And so, yes, I think I linguistically might not be able to verbalize it, but I definitely feel it. I even felt it when we did the archetypes, the live archetypes, when you joyfully were my (laughs) warrior. Is that oh great? He's planned this. Um, (laughs) You're on on to me. I I felt, um, and I think I said the words, I felt more whole when you really challenged me on the shadow. And so, yes, I think I I have a, I think there's been a interesting perception of me and that I am very private. But people do not think I am because I'm out there, I'm having the conversations, I'm um, always connecting in with lots of different things, but I'm immensely private. And there's only, you know, when you're in, you're in, you know, and I will defend you to the hilt. Um, But there's only a certain number of people that I would have um, certain conversations with. And so there is this really interesting Thing. And, and so I can be, as I think on this, I can be provoked sometimes when people think they have access to me. Yes. Which is interesting. And it's like, you know, and I do, I, I want people to have access to me, but there is that sort of, there has to be a boundary. There has to, I can, I could give you your, give, I could give my all, but it would just, I wouldn't have anything left. And so, yeah, I think there has been that sort of, getting annoyed by people when they think they can have acts, which is a terrible thing to say. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's the shadow part. That's the recognition that actually, yes, it's okay to um, keep that part sacred. Yeah. I, I think even it was, I, I'm in my mind's eye, I'm seeing Maya Angelou talking to Oprah and Maya Angelou saying, you have to keep something inside of you that yeah. is just the sacred part of you that only you have access to or as she would say as God has access to but you have to you have to have that sacred part that is only for you yeah um and it plays a role so it, it plays a role so I guess my final question to you would be what would a bold move look like next for you Kirsty what would a bold move that says I'm integrating some shadow here around my private life versus my public life in terms of connecting Mm. um i'm still going to create um a a protected space around it but i recognize it it has to inform my work Mm. Um, and learning that thing about home learning that stuff and i know you're putting on a training program called home that allows people to come to it (laughs) yeah 
but, but I, yeah, it is. It's, it's like we, we do the work that's important. Yeah. But I think um, what would a bold move look like now for you? What, what, what would you want to go for that you've got reticence and think, I'm not sure, but actually would constitute a bigger step in terms of you becoming more of the consultant that you are meant to be? So the first thing that comes to me is that is a bold move for me would be to retreat. (laughs) A bold move for me would be to not be, you know, people have said, you're doing a lot of stuff. I'm going, yeah, yeah, I'm planting a lot of seeds. I'm having great conversations. I'm creating, I'm in full on creation mode. Um, So a bold move for me would be to retreat and not do as much mm-hmm. um, and that so you know I'm starting and, and writing the first manuscript of my book so you know it could be a retreat to actually go and do that you know and, and that's it keeps coming back to me that you know this is this is what I meant to do in terms of writing the book because I think the book is going to be an anchor for lots of, you know, it's like going to be a cupbook of lots of things that will um, be attached to it. And so there'll be a thread, be a thread of everything that I've done before, but with more depth, I think. Um, and it's, it's right for right now. Yeah. It's... Um, for someone who is terrified of death, as you know, because you've mm-hmm. had the conversations with me, um, not of my own, just of my parents. Um, I, my book's about death. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's about death of dreams and death of, you know, when it starts from a sort of, from a health perspective for myself. So, so yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, so weirdly, a bold move for me would be to retreat, but retreat to move forward. I see it. Well, I see you kind of going into a cave. Mm. You know, my mind's eye, I can almost saw it was like glowing red inside. And it is your private world, which is actually more extensive than the world out there. It's mm. a world of exploration and adventure, just internal, and it's private, and it's really safe. But it's um, it's your kind of internal space and it's, it's like the engine room of your work and I just wonder if that's going to be the activity over the next little while mm. it's funny I was looking I was doing I was in an Airbnb vortex and it's like the one came up called the writer's retreat I was like oh that looks nice <laughs> there you go cool. very good yeah very good. thank you yeah thank you. pleasure mm. and so for you then McNeish mm-hmm. you know you're talking you're sounding fairly musical with your learnings in terms of the rhythm and beating the drum. You know, what are the <laughs> things that, you know, what is the new rhythm for you going forward? And the one that you create rather than the symphony of others? Um, in, in, like, I've just had a car crash of thoughts when you said all that. So, blah. Um, <laughs> You know, there was, there's a bit that, that is about, there's the easy answer, which is, oh, it looks like me being traveling South Africa, Sydney, uh, Austin, LA, London, and doing the partnerships and getting them set up and doing all that stuff. And then the bit of me that knows that I'm a dreamer 
and that there's an element of idealism in that. Um, and I, I don't want to invent a future for myself cognitively again that I've then got to fulfill. Mm. I, I would like to be listening to myself step by step by step by step. And there's a paradox there because part of how I do work is I declare a vision, I declare a future, and then I can enroll others in it and I can start to move it forward. But very often it's too premature, it's too soon, it's too quick and, and hey, let's all go for this. And then all of a sudden I'm like, mm, not feeling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a, there's a bit of me that thinks that's the easy answer is that I want to get into that pattern. But I think genuinely I, I do want to go a bit deeper. I want to, um, you know, there was a lot of unexpected moments of exquisite peace and, and, and pleasure in this last 13 weeks. I, I just didn't see coming. I couldn't have designed and I couldn't have predicted and so therefore, how do I stay open to the possibility of being surprised by a different rhythm, by uh, new things that are coming, by a different kind of engagement with a, uh, a, a new group, a new bunch of people that I'm working with? So, um, and, then, and so when I, I pulled away back from my normal way of doing that, suddenly I felt a bit sad. I felt like I don't want to invalidate that part of myself that dreams because it's an important part of me as well. But I do actually recognize that sometimes it's, it's not a useful thing to do. And sometimes it's an escape. Um, and sometimes it, it, it never feels like you think it's going to feel. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what went on with me when, when you asked the question. Yeah, it looked like a car crash. Um, it was, <laughs> you know, and, and that part of you that is the declaring of the vision and the enrolling, you know, you could argue that that's still there, you know, is it's you can declare the vision to yourself. You've mm-hmm. got, you can declare that vision and, and, and write it and journal it and research it and also allow the part of yourself to be open to possibility, to the pioneering element, to the beauty of those graceful, peaceful moments and exist together, you know, mm-hmm. and, and give yourself the opportunity to do both. You are the, you know, yes, you're the shadow man, but you're also the Andorra man, you know, and so you've got that opportunity to live, I think, for you to live more in that and space. I think so. I think that's, you know, as you're talking there, I just felt the two parts of me almost separating out. Then maybe it's just a parallel process. There is a part of me that will vision and declare and do all those type of things. And then there's a part of me that will try and create those experiences within it but to recognize I think probably my error in the past has always been that the vision's where it's at that's the life that's the reality and it's not it's just maybe I think there's a saying which is it's it's the journey that counts that could trip off my tongue as much as any other consultant worth their salt maybe now I'm just beginning to get it Mm. which is um, the vision is only just a container You know, it's like the day-to-day-to-day-to-day work is where the life is being had and where the experiences are going on. And I've realized that sometimes these are two very distinct and separate processes that require energy to be given to both. And so maybe it's that. It's maybe I I just need to find a way of separating them out rather than the vision in some way has to create. You know, the the Werner Erhardt quote that says, our lives work to the extent we're living in the hope of a preferred future. I'm not sure I believe it. 
Mm. I think I think our lives work to the extent that we're here now. That there's no more important place in the universe for you or I to be right now than talking to one another. Yeah. It's like it's the it's the here and, and suddenly we get a sacred moment. Suddenly we get a time mm. where we're talking in genuine truth. But we need a vision in some way so that we can make partnerships with people and we can connect with them and we can do those things. And so it has a function and it has a purpose, but potentially I might be demoting that part of my life. And it feels like when you're talking is that it's not necessarily that people expect a vision from you. I think they just know that you've got it. And Mm. so if, if you release that sort of, pressure on yourself to have the vision it's actually people just they just know that you're going to do what is right you're going to have the great conversation you're going to bring incredible learning to other people and so therefore just take it as read is that they're not waiting they're there knowing Mm -hmm. Mm. it's allowing yourself to do that you know you're you're kind of you know if it's in a journey you're just in the diner just now just sitting eating a stack of pancakes with a map unfolding Ooh. going where That's do we experience like oh, <laughs> maple syrup friends and I, even though i'm <laughs> vegan i'd add in bacon um, but yeah you know you're there at the start of the diner and going where do we want to get to by the end of today yeah. Not we've got a six-week trip and what do we want to do? Let's just get in the car. Where do we want to get to by the end of today? And that's it. And and recognizing that on a daily basis, you know, you is keeping those rituals of celebration as well, right? It's, it's, it's also jettisoning, jettisoning um, off the my tendency towards moving to labor, to drudge work. So I had a friend once say to me, he, he wanted to do a, um, a, an event at my training center with musicians and writing and stuff. And, he, and, and when he was asking me if he could do it, the place was just exposed joists. You know, him and his family were in two bedrooms downstairs. Upstairs was just a work site. And I was like, hey, that's quite a lot of faith you're putting in it being ready. He said, Jim, when you say you'll do something, you always end up doing it. Yes. And, and I do it because I, I'm not scared of the hard work. And I think I've now become used to the fact that I will have to just work hard if I commit to a vision. And maybe that time's beginning to pass. Maybe it's okay for me to cast vision. And if nobody else wants to pick it up and take a job out of it, then that's all right. It can pass. I don't have to always do it. And that's been one of the big bits I've been learning during this, which is uh, today I'm going to be writing a paper on what an executive retreat centre could look like in the central belt of Scotland. And I'm really clear that it doesn't look like me worrying about people's showers working. It, it doesn't look like me managing a team of staff and, and uh, doing appraisals. It doesn't look like that again for me. I've done it with Cantil. I've, I've, I've been there, but I, I, that's somebody else's job if they want it. Um, I would like to invent something where I contribute in a way which is life-giving for me and still has the freedom in it and doesn't have that sense of repetition, that sense of trap. I, and I realize 
just talking to you now that it's me that does the trapping. It's me that does putting myself into that labor space. Um, and it's me that does the pack horse idea. The belief being that it's the shadow side of me is that I'm heart lazy, you know, and, and, and that basically I resent that work. Um, and so therefore I think everybody else will. And therefore the masochistic part of me thinks, well, I've got to do it because nobody wants that work. Whereas actually there are plenty of people I know who are hard workers, grafters, enjoy putting in a good day. And, um, I think I'm getting to a point now where I can perhaps declare that vision and separate it out from if I declare the vision, that means I have to go into some kind of repetitive cycle of hard labor. I can now declare the vision and say, I've got some insight here. Who would like to come and play? Um, and we've already got four people who have talked about investment, you know, just from the conversations I've had. And I've also said to them, just so you know, I won't be gathering the investment. Yeah. It's like somebody else will do that. I, I, and I think, um, but yeah, what's getting clear for me here is there's a separation out. There's a bit of me that's basically concocted a story that says when I vision for something, I have to give 100% of my labor to it. I have to spend life on it. And I think now I'm getting to a stage in my career where I could cast a vision, which is for many. And lots of people could come to play. Yeah. And and somebody else also could do the coordinating of it all. My job is to create the vision and know my part and then say, right, who's out there that wants to make some of that happen? I think that's some deep, deep learning for me at the moment. And, and it also says this is where I need to be bold and actually declare it and then put a boundary down and say, this is what yeah. I won't do. Yeah, and be really clear about that. And because you are the generosity that you have of yourself can sometimes um, you know, take from yourself. And so to ensure that you're setting those boundaries and you know, if I think about your social media over the last little months is that, you know, is to be free to be like those hares that are running about and to, <laughs> yes. to be there with the deer and to see that and and to, you know, the words magical have come through in all of your conversations. And so you know, you bring the magic and so you have to tune into more magic in order to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. In terms of what you and I are learning, it's got something to do with working on your own internal life and working on then your public leadership life. Yeah. What do you think this means for leaders going into the future, as we look at leadership beyond COVID-19, mm -hmm. you know, we probably started these conversations quite theoretically, levels yeah. of consciousness and what was going to happen. Whereas even just in this conversation, we can both feel something getting into the muscle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there is a distinction between private and public life. Yeah. There's a distinction between private and public conversation start to form in us is it just us or do you think that's got anything to do with what leadership might look like in the future i think it has a lot to do i think if you think about the threads of what we've spoken about through all of our two series um <laughs> it's emotion it's conversation it's integration it's how you posture it's different levels of consciousness 
And interestingly, that sort of private and public scenario is that we have learned more about people's private lives in this time during yes. COVID-19 because we've seen fragments of their families and we've seen fragments of their cats and their dogs and their, you know, what wallpaper they have. And, and, and so actually there is a bit of a recognizing that there's an integration of that and then also you know, doing the work, doing the work on yourself privately um, with assistance, if that's required, but do, really doing the true work of yourself because as we face into this next phase of whatever that may look like, we're going to need the strength. We're going to need the people that are integrating, that are recognizing their shadow, that are creating rituals for themselves to really take that in deep. Um, and so it is doing the inside work because now we're starting to go outside, right? It's integration. Integration is yeah. going to become the skill. Yeah. It's the skill of kind of taking a global issue and integrating it into your day-to-day -day pragmatic activities with your organisation. It's taking your own shadow and doing the private work on yourself and then integrating that into your public conversation in a way that's appropriate, in a way that still keeps the boundaries. Um, it's integrating... Uh, who you are behind closed doors with your family with kind of what's going on out there. I, one of the things I think I'm observing right now is particularly in some values-led organisations is a massive schism, a, a huge, huge void and a gorge beginning to form between how people are experiencing their lives privately versus what they're espousing publicly. Yeah. I'm seeing it hugely and I'm seeing a massive crisis as a result. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what it's telling us is that you've got to go through that personal crisis or, you, or it'll manifest itself in your organisation. You've got to go through that space of what's really going on with me and how do I bring integrity to my genuine way of seeing the world, to my work, to my public position. And whilst we integrate, we are also dismantling bureaucracy. Or we could be, because some people are trying to build it back up again. Um, sure. So it's, you know, most companies, they stop freedom as they get bigger. They curtail freedom as they get bigger with bureaucracy increasing. We have seen people pivot on people and product and processes and purpose. We have seen people change on a dime. We've seen mm -hmm. education go online in 24 hours. And so we, we have demonstrated it can happen. Let's not then get back into, as we now go back into the offices, et cetera, and start to rebuild bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I could just, let's start to put in all the processes. Let's start to, let's, let's not, you know, let's just think about really what did that do to slow down businesses before? And now let's think about how we sped up businesses during this time. Yes, yes. it was a different need, but we did it. Yes. And let's not just whack on another layer, another construct, because that's not, it's, well, it might work, but it's not going to be there for the long term. And at a personal level, that applies too, Kirsty, in terms of how do we move away from our own bureaucracies around mm -hmm. what are my rights? What am I, uh, you know, what is it I can demand? Um, what are my individual needs? It's like we're going to have to think more collectively and we're going to have to think of ourselves more as a contribution than a consumer in this because that right-led activity 
is going to continually create a sense of individualism and a sense of positionality, stuckness, a stand, a digging in. And we're all going to have to become nimbler. We're all going to have to go through different seasons. I am. Um, my, um, uh, the video I did on shadow. Yeah. Hit 200,000 views today. And on that's Facebook. That's shadow man, people. How amazing. <laughs> it, it hit 200,000 views. It was a three minute content piece I did. And it hit 200,000 views on FaceTime. My other one, which I did about my program, has just about hit 2,000 views on LinkedIn. And um, it made me think today that that's how the world's going to be as well. We're going to get some phenomenal surprises where things we do are just going to burst into life. But that isn't like a step that you then claim and move up and move up and move up. It's like you're going to have your 200,000 and you're going to have your 2,000. You're going to have your big kind of filled up programs. You're going to have it running for two or three people at a time. You're going to have to have this flexibility in a world that's more chaotic. It's kind of less of a, this is my right. This is my status now. This is my position. This is what I have. Um, I, I, I'm conscious that I'm going to have to write pitches and tenders for organizations, which has always struck me as being the non-relational, but some are going to need that. And sometimes it's not going to come to anything. And then others, you're going to be heralded in like a hero because the organization always wanted you. They can get you in now and, and suddenly you feel like the king. And, and I just think that that defending your rights, your status and your position is going to have to become a thing of the past and we're going to have to go lighter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, Go Lighter is lovely. I think we started um, the very first podcast with Aaron Dati Roy. So, you know, Go Lightly. And I, it is about, you know, we were we would have spoken at many conferences where one of the speakers would be talking about the future of work. Um, and it's the now of work. And I wonder if those constructs of what the future of work was meant to be is actually what we're living in now. And maybe it is about having that sort of startup mentality where we are more nimble, teams are small, roles are loosely defined, you yeah. know, where risks are prized, you know, <laughs> go on, make a mistake, let's learn from it. And, and formality is slow. You know, maybe we yeah. need to think about how we, we differ in our spans of control. We talked in our last one about the world is opening up in terms of social media, in terms of different elements of um, accessibility and different um, lenses. We're now talking about the metaverse, which is how you know, you've got a sort of AR and VR so that the internet is not something we go to. It's not gonna be, oh, let's Google that. Other search yeah. engines are available. It's <laughs> gonna be, the internet is gonna be around us. So we're gonna think yeah. about something and then it's there. Yeah. And so that's the world we're moving into. And so as we exponentially increase technology, let's not linearly increase our wisdom. Let's collaborate. Let's talk to other people, people that we don't actually agree with and do the work. That's what we're here for. And I genuinely think, if I think of one of our poems um, from the Hopi prayer, we are the ones that we've been waiting for. So let's all do the work. What if you slept? And what if in your sleep you dreamed? And what if in your dream you went to heaven and there plucked a strange and beautiful flower? And what if 
when you awoke, you had the flower in your hand. Ah, what then? Samuel Taylor Coleridge